see some other verses as we go throughout that review and throughout our study today that you guys can uh, associate with those different ministries of the Holy Spirit. So, talking about how the Holy Spirit saves us, we looked at Ephesians 1 for quite a bit, um, and the fact that the Holy Spirit in there seals, again, Ephesians 1.13, he 
is the one who seals us. Um, again, 4.30, we looked at that briefly. And Titus 3, 4 through 7 is where we were last week. And then again, we went to John 3, 1 through 8, talk about how Christians have been born from above. And this week, we're going to get into Acts a little bit. So go ahead and open up your book to, or your Bibles to the book of Acts. <laughs> We'll start off in Acts chapter 1. Will somebody read those first five verses for us, please? I can do it. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right. So that's the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are several baptisms we see throughout Scripture, um, and they are not all the same. We need to recognize that there are differences in baptisms. The baptism we're going to take part in today is the water baptism that we're going to witness this morning, afternoon-ish. Um, is, yeah. Uh, it's going to be different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's an, a recognition that... Uh, a person has already been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so we have to make that distinction for sure. So when we're talking about baptism here, what is baptism with the Holy Spirit? Any initial thoughts? All right. There are not water. Yeah, not water. <laughs> so it's different. So if it's not water... Any ideas what it is? Or perhaps what it isn't? Because there are a lot of ideas out there about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we would not hold to. Yeah, that's that question again. What is baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is that? With. With the Holy Spirit. It means we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the point that God permanently indwells us. Whatever that means, but <laughs> and it doesn't mean jumping around, rolling on the floor, or anything like that. Okay, yeah, was reborn. Jump on that. Reborn. Okay. So we've used some some other words. We've had one more here to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, to be reborn or regenerated. To pretty much the same thing. They're synonymous um, in the Holy Spirit. Um, baptism is a little bit unique from those other things. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that is an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, not necessarily something that happens at the moment of salvation. We are dwelt with the Holy Spirit, but that is to be distinguished from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because even as Christians, while we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we can still be walking in the flesh. We can be submitting to our, our fleshly nature rather than to the will of God, to the Spirit of God. 
And so to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be identified with the Holy Spirit, to be put into the body of Christ, that he places us all into the one single unified body of Christ. And Jerry, you mentioned that it's not rolling around on the floor. It's not crying out in um, gibberish or barking like a dog or laughing <laughs> these different things that many people have said that's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit to have this second gift of grace um, there are people who will say that they had an experience in their life where they were more fully um, I don't even know what the word is committed I guess to the, the church and to God so they had this change in their life that they attribute to a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, we have that under the at salvation over here in our, our little list because we believe that it happens at the very moment of salvation. That there's not a gap in between being regenerated, being born again, made into a new person, and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes. We talked about this in 1 Corinthians, the sermon series, in chapter 3. How some people believe you can be a carnal Christian for a time. That you do get saved and you are heaven bound, but you're not spiritual. And so there's yeah, this view that baptism with the Spirit comes after salvation. And it could be days after, it could be years after. And there's a range on how people view that. Some people are more charismatic and say that will be shown by tongue speaking and prophesying and other things. And other people would say, none of that happens, but there is this idea of you're baptized with the Spirit, and that didn't happen at salvation, so you go from carnal Christianity to spiritual Christianity. And neither one of those, that, that basic view isn't found in Scripture. Yes. Uh -huh. Wouldn't would that be the difference of, like, when you're a baby Christian, and you first put Christ into your heart, you commit and everything, but you don't know very much. You don't know much. And then later on, as you mature in your Christian walk, and you become convicted by, you know, I think that oftentimes baby Christians, they're super excited, and then the, the newness dies off, and oftentimes people, you know, I don't know what your guys' stance, I don't know what the, I don't even know what the biblical stance of it is, but I think it is possible to lose your salvation. So, um, or maybe you just never really had it. You just, like, like VBS, little kids mm -hmm. jumping up and saying, I'm going to pray Jesus uh -huh. into my heart and getting a sucker, right? It's yeah. not necessarily <laughs> the same thing as being baptized with the Holy Spirit where you're like, nothing is going to come between me and my relationship with God. Yeah. I so, yeah, what would be, most important would be the, the Bible's position on that, not necessarily our position or any other church's position. Mm -hmm. and the position of our church is to try to seek to be biblical in our position. And we are of the conviction that the Bible teaches that once you are saved, you are sealed in the spirit. I think we talked about that last week or the week before. And as being sealed in the Holy Spirit, he has put his stamp of approval on you. Nobody's gonna take them away from me. John 10, 27 through 29 talk about how we are firmly in the grip of the Father, we are firmly in the grip of the Son. Nobody is gonna take us out of the, the hand of, of God. Um, including ourselves, so we don't. What happens think to that, the people? I'm sorry. What happens to the people who deconstruct? I would say that they are unbelievers who have. Um, Even if they were pastors and everything else. Yeah. 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 There's no difference in 
the, the position in a church or the level of service or commitment um, that makes somebody in Christ or not in Christ. And there are all kinds of people who can name the name of Christ who are in Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that um, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So that's a, a scary verse. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells us to test our salvation to see whether or not we are in the faith. So that's something that we should be doing to make sure that we are, in fact, in Christ. And then in 1 John, John says that there were some who were part of us. They were in our church. They were with us and, and serving with us, maybe even some pastors, some leaders. But then they left. And he says, well, they went out from us because they were never truly of us. So if we, not the fact that we leave a, a physical church, but if we denounce the name of Jesus, if we deny the gospel, then that's evidence that we were never truly born again. We were never truly regenerated. We were never dwelled. We were never sealed or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Any other thoughts or questions? Well, the other illustration Jesus uses up the wheat and the darnell growing up together and you yep. don't know until he separates them. Yep. So, yeah, even though so some will be made obvious because they're going to straight up deny the truth and we'll know that they went out from us because they were never of us. But as Jerry mentioned, Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares growing up together. And the in the parable, the farmer didn't say, well, go out and pull up all the tares because then the wheat would be pulled up too. He said, just wait until the day of harvest and then it will be revealed. The, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, they will be identified um, on the day of judgment. So what they're saying there, basic too, was the fact that you can't tell one being from the other. And we see that in church, it seems a lot. Yeah. And here again, you go to Matthew 7, 21, you're talking about saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. And yeah, you little terror, you, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't you little but, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't know you. And uh, so I'm and assuming that's what the weeks and the terror Yeah, so from a, a human standpoint, practically speaking, we have to identify to some degree. Um, we have to try to judge between wheats and tares and, and sheep and goats, um, especially if we're going to protect the church. We've been called to, to keep on guard, to keep watch, because savage wolves will come in among you. And so we have to identify um, to some degree whether or not somebody is in Christ or not. That's going to determine how we counsel them, how we advise them, if we're sharing the gospel with them or if we're encouraging them to to put their faith in the, the saving work that Christ has done in their heart based on their testimony, based on the fruit that we can see in their life. But ultimately, yeah, we, we're we not the ones who are judging. Well, some, some will be obvious. Some will be so well hidden that yeah. we may not ever know until all of a sudden we show up in the rapture. You go, Bob, I'm not hippier. Poor Bob. Mm-hmm. And the set of some goes before then a set of others will be, mm-hmm. it'll follow behind them mm-hmm. and find them out later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we started to talk about regeneration and baptism, we will be taking place at the same time. We take place at the moment of salvation. But um, we'll see as we go throughout Acts, in my terrible editor, I apologize, in Acts, we see that there are oftentimes a, a time gap in between when somebody is regenerated and when somebody is baptized. And when Water baptized. Water baptized. 
Because, well, are you saying if there, there's some people that teach there's a time gap between regeneration and spirit baptism, or are you saying that there actually is a space between regeneration and water baptism? Both, yes. Oh. I, was, I was trying to get there, but okay. not a food position. So there are people, as we mentioned, who say you are saved once, and then later on you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will oftentimes, within those circles, manifest himself in extreme ways by speaking in tongues and doing these outward signs. Um, but um, in Acts, we'll see that there's a, a gap. And I would say, not just between water baptism, but between spirit baptism, where they receive the spirit, that that doesn't always take place at regeneration in the book of Acts. But Acts is a transitionary book. It's not something that is normative, not something that we should take our doctrine from. It's historical narrative that tells us how things took place in the early church. We take lots of doctrine from X. Like, it's on the... We do. <laughs> it's on the world. <laughs> but we need to be careful about realizing that it's narrative. Here. So that is different than, than the LDS culture, because in the LDS culture, as soon as you get your baptized, they say you get the Holy Spirit immediately to be with you. So it's not about water baptism. Is, well, as soon as, yeah, when they're eight years old, when they get the spirit yeah. to be with them at that moment. Yeah, so again, we have to make a distinction between water baptism and spirit baptism. To be baptized by the spirit precedes water baptism. It's, it's different. Being baptized by the spirit, that's when we are identified with Christ, where we become part of the, the body. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, um, one father of all. And so that's where we become part of the body of Christ. Gets, we are baptized into Christ. And it gets confusing when yeah, movements lump the two together and they say, well, spirit baptism happens at water baptism. Yes. Which is not only the Mormon church, but the Christian church denomination and churches of Christ, they teach that too. Mm -hmm. And that really blurs lines. Absolutely. Um, yes. Look at the thief on the cross. He wasn't baptized with water or done, you know. But I feel he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be with me in heaven. Yeah. yeah. I, that's different because that's before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. I don't know how that worked. That's, <laughs> that's a mystery. But he was guaranteed yeah. uh, that he'd be with Jesus, right? And he was not by dunked faith. underwater by right. faith. Amen. Um, Jim. I was invited to a luncheon one time. A friend of mine, we went together. And it was called... Uh, it was put on by a group that called themselves Full Gospel Christian Men. And that's what they were. So anyway, we got to the luncheon and that's, they were telling us, you know, you, they knew we were from churches. I don't remember how, how the invitation came. They knew we were all religious guys. But you were half gospel Christian. But, yeah, that's right. They told us, but basically what they ended up telling us, we had, if we didn't speak in tongues when we were saved, that we had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we needed to be baptized again. They were offering to do it. To baptize, <laughs> offer us a second baptism into the Holy Spirit. See, and people like that need to read Matthew chapter 7. Because yeah. uh, that's, that's scary stuff when you're telling, adding to the gospel. Before I left there, the hair was standing up on the back. <laughs> I couldn't wait to yeah. leave. <laughs> so, yeah, when you, you kind of create two tiers of Christianity, so-called, yeah. and you're saying, well, if you have to get to the second tier to really be saved, to really be in Christ, what you're doing is you're adding to the gospel. You're right. saying that to be saved, you need to be 
dunked in water. Baptismal regeneration, that we're not baptized by the Holy Spirit, we're, ba- or we're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we're regenerated by baptism. That's a, a false gospel that we need to get around that. Uh, do you have something, Jerry? Well, we're also adding man's work. Water baptism is a physical thing that you do, which yep. has a human requirement to full salvation. That would give us something to boast in. Carrie? Okay. Alright. So, um, Acts. One of the big issues in the book of Acts um, with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Everything is brand new. Um, We've talked about this a lot in our Acts Bible study, but just trying to figure out how things are working. How does salvation work for the the Jews? Because the Jews have always been God's chosen people, so how does um, the Holy Spirit coming in the birth of the church change things for the Jews. How about for the Gentiles? That's a, a big issue throughout the book of Acts. How um, if salvation is even possible for the Gentiles, what they have to do to receive salvation. Um, what about the Samaritans? And how are they involved in all of this? They are um, kind of half-breeds. They're not full Jews, but they're they're half Jew, half Gentile. What about the Samaritans? And then uh, a fourth group would be the, the God-fearers. There's a lot of um, just confusion about how the Holy Spirit works among these different groups of people, how they come to, to be in Christ. And so I want to go through Acts a little bit and look at these different groups and see how the Holy Spirit works in these groups. Um, let's turn one chapter 4 to chapter 2. Um, First, this note on Acts 1, Jesus had promised in the Gospels that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. Now he provides more details. The Helper will make the disciples new and bring about righteousness. So that's what we're talking about back in John 14 through 16, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now we have the promise again in Acts chapter 1. You're to wait around and you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Alright, so Acts chapter 2, will somebody read verses 1 through 4 for us, please? When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. All right. Is this normal? Does this happen to everybody in all times when the Holy Spirit falls on us? No. No. It's not normal, right? <laughs> why, why was that not more resounding? <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, if we... No. <laughs> if we're even tempted to say yes, then what we'd have to do is look at our own experience and yeah. test our salvation by our experience rather than by scripture. And I know for myself, this never happened to me. I never had anything dancing around on my head. I was never speaking in uh, different languages. And so by this account, I don't think any of us would be saved. So no, this is not normative. This happened at one particular point in time. Uh, this happened to the Jewish people. This happened to the, the Jews. Well, everybody really was there at um, Pentecost, but uh, we see the, the Jews primarily in this narrative and 
know that it's not normative, it's not something we should look for in our own lives. This is the only time we see the tongues of fire, isn't it? Uh, we see other tongues, but tongues of fire, um, and it's yeah, light. they it's are like fire, so it's, it could be speaking to the, yeah. the brightness or the way that fire moves and dances around, it's not really clear, but um, it's not like there's a, a fiery picture of a tongue on the top of their head. This is the only time I've seen it described that way. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm, maybe not. That's what I'm asking. We see different speaking in tongues throughout Acts. Yeah, speaking in tongues, but but the, the yep. ideal described as tongues of fire. Yep, just here in the only place I've seen that. All right, the speaking of other languages was a sign of the Spirit for that time. It was possibly a sign of judgment as well. Go back to Joel chapter two. We could incorporate some judgment there. Um, before we get to Acts 10, let's look at um, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and I'll go ahead and read starting in verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered about went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So we see that Philip is here among the Samaritans, ministering, uh, having a, a pretty effective ministry at that. Uh, jump down to verse 12. Um, they talk about Simon in there for a little bit. And verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. I think that's speaking of water baptism. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Um, so that's talking about uh, water baptism, how water baptism was taking place um, among the Samaritans through Philip's uh, ministry there. So we see that salvation was for the Jews back in Acts chapter 2, for the Samaritans here in uh, Acts chapter 8. So they are part of the, the body of Christ here included in that group. Now let's jump forward to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And the first two verses of Acts 10 say that there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one, of the, and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So... Um, here we see that Cornelius is a, a God-fearing man. So that's kind of different from being a, a fully Jewish convert. They have embraced Judaism, um, but without being circumcised. So he has embraced the, the teachings of the law, of the Torah, uh, but just hasn't gone quite all the way. Will somebody read verses 44 through 48? 
of that central piece. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Also, for those hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God, then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. All right, so what do we see in those verses? They were the Holy, or the, yeah, the Spirit of God fell on those as they were believing while they were listening. All right, how was that evidence? How did they know that? Well, they were able to speak other languages. They were and speaking in tongues, these other known languages, and praising God. And they were amazed. And they said, whoa, look, these, these Gentiles, they believed. And they have this evidence of salvation, the same evidence that we saw back in Acts chapter 2 for the Jewish people. Now, is this the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes. All right. Should salute Way bad. <laughs> the Spirit doesn't have a baptism apart from the Father and the Son. So, want to be careful. That's my point. Yeah. Okay. So. Yes, it's baptism with the Spirit, as evidenced by the speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just so. Let me get into this. I get frustrated that they chose to use the word tongue instead of the word language. It's the same word. Yeah. Why did they deliberately confuse things? Yeah. It sounds better to say every tribe, tongue, and nation instead of every tribe, language, and nation. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know if that's does. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've just grown accustomed to it. But yeah, speaking of known languages, not gibberish or babble. So it's important to keep in mind. It is in Spanish. They just use the one word. It's lingua. And it's the same in Greek. Why did we invent? Well, it probably came from some other language. Yeah, I'm not sure. All right. Well, because there is such a thing as a tongue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the word yeah. tongue came from another tongue. That's why tongue is so confusing. Carrie, do you have something? Was it done specifically so that they could go out amongst all of the other nations? Like, was that the moment when it became something that they could go and become missionaries to other yeah, I think it's, there's a, a correlation between Acts chapter 2 and the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, there was a confusion of languages. People came together to exalt themselves in, in pride to go against God. And he confused the languages and said, no, you don't. And then in Acts chapter 2, we kind of see the opposite, that they're coming together at Pentecost. Jesus has already been crucified, buried, and, and resurrected. He said, I'm going to send you another helper. And he does it at that moment. And they're speaking these different languages that everybody's hearing in their own language. And so um, the Holy Spirit was was poured out on the church. That's where we believe the church was born. And because they were there for Pentecost, a lot of them had traveled from different places. And so, yeah, we think that that was uh, a 
a way that many churches in other areas started. Not all the, the churches were the result of Paul and his missionary journeys, but a lot of them came out of this work in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out on these different people of different tongues and different languages, different nations. It's really sad because there's a lot of people in charismatic churches who just practice gibberish. Like, I've yeah. with the people who are like that, they just practice gibberish in foster care. And yep. they just practice. And then they get dressed on Sunday and go and make a presentation of it. Yeah. And it was always and then, <laughs> then they're missing out on true, genuine prayer. So I think that's yeah. a, a great tool that Satan uses to really rob us of the, the privilege and the power that we have in prayer through the the one true Holy Spirit. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a scheme of Satan as far as I'm concerned. Actually, for a while they were putting out training books and videos teaching people how to speak in tongues. Yeah, you can't find that in the Bible. <laughs> it's like, you have to teach it. How does it come from the Holy Spirit? <laughs> yep. All right, so. Maybe the point to be made. Yes. That this, this was all through the disciples that this was going on. God's chosen group. And I think it has a lot of credence to give to them. <coughs> because God was using them, and tongues was an evidence of what Christ was in them. And it was used to be manifested so their ministry would be great. Because it would spread everywhere. <coughs> um, yes, it's yes. not like some. Guy walked, uh, he was a believer, like he was maybe Cornelius. He couldn't draw the Holy Spirit. He could receive the Holy Spirit, but I mean, it's only through the disciples that this is primarily the, the true gift at this very beginning in Acts. Yeah. I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, somewhere, that says that prophecy is for the believer, and tongues is for the unbeliever. 14. 14? 14, 12, maybe? Yeah, somewhere 14. Um, talking about the purpose of tongues is for an unbeliever to, so they can see and um, it, it verifies. That's the, the purpose in the, the New Testament in the book of Acts. That it verified that the Holy Spirit was upon somebody. So here in Acts 10, that's how they knew that. God had fallen upon the the Gentiles because of the work and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And just like in Acts chapter 2, this is not normative. It's not something we should look for in our own lives. It was clear that the Gentiles had actually been regenerated by the Holy Spirit because they did what the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. And then in um, Acts 11, 15 through 18. Let's go there and read that real quick. Acts 11, 15 through 18, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So the sign of languages brought about by the Spirit was used to show the early church that the Gentiles were now able 
to be God's people also. So it was a form of verification that they were also in Christ. Um, let's see, let's turn to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. Can somebody read verses 1 through 6 for us, please? 19, 1 to 6. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who, who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so this is taking place among the Ephesians. So these are Gentiles. And again, we see a, a different baptism brought up here, the baptism of John. John's baptism, we read about in Matthew 3, uh, is a baptism of repentance, realizing their need for repentance. It's different from believer's baptism, which we practice today. It's different from spirit baptism. Uh, but these were believers who came across uh, who Paul came across, and Apollos was one of these believers, you can see back in chapter 18, who was baptized into John's baptism, but had not been, um, had not received the Holy Spirit. And here we see that they received the Holy Spirit differently, not as we do today at salvation, at the same point that He indwells us, He regenerates us, He seals us, but they received the Holy Spirit how in this passage? After. Laying on of After baptism of the laying on of hands. Mm -hmm. And again, we have to recognize that this is not normative. That narrative is not always normative. Acts is a transitional book. It was the beginning of the church where different things were taking place and had not yet been fully established. And so we have to realize that um, it was written down as history for us so we would know what would happen. And through these different passages, we see that Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, God-fearers, they are all identified as being able to be part of the body of Christ. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, that we're all one in Christ. Yes. Well, but they were baptized um, on the confession of John, not the confession of Jesus. Right. Yeah. That's right. And then in verse 5, it says that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right. Because... Before, it was a, a different baptism. That was John's baptism. They were baptized So it would have almost into. been a different faith. They hadn't heard the Right. Gospel. Yeah. Yeah, so you can go back into the end of chapter 18, and you can see how Apollos, he was uh, a well-spoken man who was preaching and teaching things of God, but he didn't fully understand the, the gospel that they were fulfilled in Christ. He wasn't teaching anything against Christianity, yeah. but he wasn't preaching um, the Redemption, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ, and so Ananias uh, and Sapphira, no, Priscilla and Aquila came along, and Ananias and Sapphira didn't come back from the dead, um, but Priscilla and Aquila came along and taught him more accurately in the ways of the Lord. Yes, and that's a great example of how Acts is a transitionary book because today no one is running around only having heard of John's baptism. Yeah. 
But at that time, so many books of the Bible hadn't even been written yet, and the ones that perhaps had been written hadn't made circulation all the way yet. They didn't have Twitter. Yeah, they didn't have Twitter. Uh, and so there were... So even though they hadn't heard the gospel yet, they were on track for the gospel because they had heard and believed the message of John the Baptist, which was a good thing for those in John the Baptist's day. Now the rest of the, now the fullness of the gospel, the true full gospel, <laughs> got to them and they believed. And so that's just another example of how Acts is transitionary in nature. Yes. Was there another thought over here? Um, we'll talk more about Thomas later. So, yes, we don't need to get too bogged down on that. What was that? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Jerry's tongue later. <laughs> he needs to hold it more. It's hard to bring it up without having to study in tongues. It's so misunderstood. Misused. So to your charge. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I think that's great place to probably add on this. First Corinthians 12, 13. Turn it with me. I'll start in verse 12. It says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So we are baptized by that spirit into one body. We are identified with Christ in one body. So whether we speak English or Japanese or Spanish or something, we have a, a fellow bond with somebody who is in Christ because of our common confession of Christ, because of our being baptized into one body in Christ. At salvation, each believer is baptized into the church via the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand the difference that different baptisms are found in the Bible. I know I read that differently than it is on the screen, but the Bible talks about different baptisms, as we've already discussed. Any other thoughts or questions on baptism? Yes? I just think people need to understand when, we're, when we become believers, we get the Holy Spirit. We don't get any more of it later. We don't lose any of it. We can quench it, and we can be filled with it. But it's there's no more or less to it. The yeah. ideal is either we can take him and squeeze it up inside us and listen to the world, or we can let our mind be filled with God's Word and thinking and, yeah. and live by it. But it doesn't change the amount Holy Spirit that we receive. Yep. Yeah, God cannot be divided, right? The Holy Spirit is God. He is a, a person, and we cannot take him and divide him into parts or portions and have a, a fraction of him at salvation and then uh, more so later on. We can be filled by the Holy Spirit, whereas in other times we are not walking in the Spirit, but that is not. Um, changing how we are indwelt or not indwelt by the Spirit, how we are regenerated or unregenerated. Anything else? Okay. So we are all now 
theologians, right? We're experts in the area of pneumatology. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Rex is happy with that. He's satisfied with that. <laughs> um, John Frame says, everybody who is converted, everyone who is a Christian, is baptized in the Spirit. There are not two groups in the church, one baptized in the Spirit and the other not. If that were true, it would be a basis for disunity rather than, as Paul says, a basis for unity. Now, this should be a uppercase C, right? There are not two groups in the Church of Christ, the universal Church of Christ, one baptized in the Spirit and the other not. Because in the local church, there very often, most often, are unbelievers in the church who are not baptized by the Holy Spirit. But in the universal Invisible body of Christ. There are only those who are baptized by the Spirit. Um, the Spirit doesn't just save; He confirms in our hearts that we are, in fact, children of God. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, which is a great verse for for us. Um, another cool verse right before that that. I found this last week on uh, a memory verse card from a long time ago, and I kind of read it, and I thought, well, why did I write that down? It's a kind of weird, obscure verse to write down and try to commit to memory is uh, Romans 8 and 9, which says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And I thought it was cool that that verse talked about the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ right there back to back and how we are going to be indwelt by Him. And if we have the Spirit of Christ in us, then we belong to Christ, which is pretty cool. And conversely, if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we aren't here, So Yeah, we're not in So that separates. Yes, it's a completely. Yep. There are no phases. There are no. It's either or. A yeah, good, good litmus test is what's your relationship with the book he wrote? Yes. Uh, because I do believe that the Holy Spirit works in our lives and guides us in ways other than just by reading the Bible. Um, I don't believe we only meet the Holy Spirit in the Bible. However, all of our experiences have to be judged by the Bible because it is the objective authority. Mm -hmm. And our relationship with that book that he wrote is a great test to see if we are children of God. Because he primarily confirms and affirms and assures through our relationship with Scripture. And others who adhere to it too. First John talks about... We're in Christ if we have love for the brethren. So love for his word, love for others who love his word, and be willing to submit to you, to their counsel and their guidance as well. All right. Groom says that when people become Christians, the Holy Spirit is an initial cleansing work in them, making a decisive break with the patterns of sin that were in their lives before. After the initial break with sin, he also produces in us growth and holiness of life. That's where being filled and... Um, controlled by the Holy Spirit comes into play. Next week, we'll get into sanctification of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our sanctification. Um, hopefully, we fully understand that He is the one who does a work in us for salvation. We can do nothing apart from Him. We're not regenerated by works of 
righteousness that are ours, but by His mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, not by anything we have, but also our sanctification is dependent upon the work of the Spirit. All right, let's pray. God, thank you once again for your spirit, for your word, for your church, and how you use each to guide and direct us, to convict us. Um, I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would test our hearts, that you would search us and expose any sin that's in our life, and that you would lead us in the way everlasting. I pray this in your name. Amen.